Hey Life Canton, uh, Roger here, Director of Student and Young Adult Ministry. So glad that you're here with us, whether you're a first-time listener or a returning listener. Uh, welcome. If you are a first-time listener, be sure to like, subscribe, follow all that stuff so that you can hear more of our sermons and other things we put out. But whether you are brand new or a new listener, I always want to remind you that we are in a community, in a church where God is on the move. Uh, he's up to so much uh, as we dive into your vision of reclaiming your identity and uh, bringing the torch of Jesus, uh, justice, and love to our community. He, he's up to preparing us to do so many things and in, in the act of doing so many things right now in our community, both our church community and our surrounding community. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, you can always do that uh, many ways, but primarily through giving to the mission of this church. You can head over to lifechurchcan.org forward slash give to do that online, but uh, I would invite you and encourage you to give a recurring gift to support the mission of the church. Uh, this week we're still in our summer series on Second Timothy. It's been so cool to just read some of the exchanges and some of the discipleship that occurs between Paul and Timothy and to apply it to our church and our community in the ways we want to grow and be grown by God. So here's another message about Second Timothy this week from Pastor John, our discipleship pastor, uh, who brings uh, a great message and some really cool tools uh, to help us grow in our faith. So give that a listen, and I will catch up with you in just a moment. My name is John. I'm the discipleship pastor here, and it's my joy to be here with you in person and those of you joining us online. It's my joy and privilege to shepherd our life journey discipleship process, which is all about learning to, uh, to be a disciple of Jesus and make disciples. That's what he's called us to in the Great Commission, and we get to learn how to do that together. It's such a joy, and there's so many great stories coming out of the life journey. Can I share you, with you one of them? Are you sure? <laughs> All right, this is from Robbie, and he's from Ohio. He says, through life journey, a new awakening occurred in me for things I have known intellectually for all of my life, but through these courses, I was able to move what I know from intellect to infusion. Jesus is more infused in what I say and do and how I pray than ever before. And the courses gave me the tools I need to continue this amazing journey. I love that. Intellect to infusion. Now, maybe you noticed that I said Robbie is from Ohio. How is that possible? Well, he's part of Cornerstone Church, which is a part of our Life Journey Network. So we have churches in Maine and Ohio and other parts of the country that are also engaging in Life Journey and building disciples just like we are here. And it's such a great tool for the kingdom that God is using. If you want to encounter Jesus like Robbie through the Life Journey let us know on your Connect card, and I would love to give you more information as we have another round of courses launching in September. Today, we're going to continue in our Second Timothy series as we're going through the book chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and learning what God has for us in his word. I encourage you to scroll or flip to that book with us in chapter 2. We'll be going through verses 8 through 13 today. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give one to you. You can go to the Welcome Center and we'll get you hooked up with that. So let's get started in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Paul is speaking uh, to his disciple, Timothy, as he is writing this letter to him and also to us. And this is what he starts off saying, all right? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. Now, 
as Timothy heard this, I can kind of picture him rolling his eyes because he probably heard Paul say this thousands of times. Remember the, the resurrection. And Timothy's like, that's kind of a big deal, Paul. How could I forget about the resurrection? I mean, we kind of stake our whole faith on this, don't we? You see, Paul has a thing for the resurrected Jesus because he encountered him personally. Paul was on a journey persecuting and killing Christians. And all of a sudden, a bright light shined on him and a voice spoke through it and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus himself spoke to Paul, literally knocked him off his feet and blinded him. And he's never been the same since. Changed his life around, resurrected his life from the grave of persecution and death and to being one of the greatest apostles to write most of the New Testament that we have today. Paul had an encounter with Jesus and it changed him forever. See, Paul can't stop talking about the resurrection. He's like, I've got to get this passion that I have for the resurrection and, and, and put it, take it out of me and put it in you, Timothy, and all of us, as Pastor Nathan described last week. That's such a great picture of discipleship. What God has worked in your life, you want to work into someone else's life. And that's what Paul just cannot stop talking about when it comes to the resurrection. It's the core of his good news, as he says. Why? Because the resurrection changes the way we face everything, even cancer. My family's going through a struggle right now because my 40-year-old sister, Kathleen, was diagnosed with blood cancer, multiple myeloma. And she just finished her two-week treatment for a bone marrow transplant. And I sat with her in her room last Friday talking about this battle, this journey with cancer. And she spoke to me about the hard days where she felt like she was nauseous and she didn't know if she could endure. She didn't know if she could make it through. And then the good days where she thought, this is, I can make it through this. I actually feel peace. I feel the joy of God walking me through this. And then she let our family know that because of the chemo, her hair was starting to fall out. And all of us, are in tears as we're hearing this news and we're worried about her. And so she calls us and video message just so that we didn't worry about her. She's the one in treatment and she's thinking about us. And so we all get on the phone and we talk together and, and go through this journey together with her. But I couldn't help but be brought to tears as we were sharing in the, in the hospital. She was walking me through her journey. And what floored me more than anything else is she said, John, I can feel the prayers of people surrounding me. She was in tears. And she said, I don't understand how I can feel so much joy and peace in the middle of this treatment, in the middle of this diagnosis. God is here and I can feel him through his people. And I was moved by her unshakable hope in Christ. She felt all of the emotions as we all do, but she was fueled by hope. And that is why Paul is so passionate about the resurrection of Jesus, because it empowers us to face hurt, pain, sorrow, sadness, grief, whatever the world throws at us, whatever we face in this broken life, and we can face it fueled by hope, just like my sister is. Her journey through cancer and Paul's passion for the resurrection made me think of this picture that I want to show you. This represents the last three days of Holy Week. Good Friday, when Jesus took the pain and the sorrow and the humiliation of the cross, he took our sin 
and climbed up on the cross for us and died in our place so that he could pay the price for sin. And then on Saturday, he went into the grave and fully embraced death because you must die before you can resurrect. And he wanted to plant the seeds of new life in the grave of death so that death could be overcome and swallowed up in his victory. But we don't often linger in Saturday, do we? We don't talk about this day very much because Christ is in the grave. We don't know exactly what's happening. There's a lot that's happening in there as we'll, as we'll soon discover. But because he was willing to endure Friday and Saturday, he could step into Sunday and resurrect from the grave. He could defeat death once and for all and make a way for us to experience new life on Easter Sunday. This is an empty grave to represent the fact that he didn't stay in that grave. Amen? He rose from the dead and he is raising us from the dead in the process. And he said, if you follow me, you must take up your cross and travel the same pathway that I traveled. Follow me. What does that look like? You see, I think Paul's reminding Timothy and us about the resurrection because it's so easy when we're going through this path of following Jesus to either get stuck in Friday or stuck in Saturday and forget about the resurrection power of Sunday. When we get stuck in Friday, we live like Jesus is still on the cross and Saturday like He's still in the grave. Let me show you how we do that. When we get stuck in Friday, we live like Christ is still on the cross. He was mocked, tortured, and hung on a cross like a victim. He experienced the agony and pain of being humiliated and stripped naked. In a word, He was defeated from what it looked like in the world. They walked by the cross and said, all those things that you preached, all those uh, things about the kingdom coming and, and reigning and raising from the dead, you're dead now on the cross. And they mocked him. And when we live as though Jesus is still on the cross, we live from a victim perspective. You see, a victim perspective causes you to live like you are defeated. You know you are a victim if you agree with the lies about yourself and others. You might say things like, I always mess things up. I'm always a burden. Everyone is always out to get me. Why is everything so hard? Or I will never be good enough. I'll never understand my husband or wife. I will never get financially free. And I will never escape this pain. Always, 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 never, never, never. These are the words of a victim perspective. And maybe you found yourself there at one time or another. You know you're a victim if you don't care for your own soul. A victim is too busy taking care of everyone else. They don't see the value of caring for their own soul. In fact, they hide from themselves because they're worried if they actually face what's going on that a volcano of emotions will erupt and they won't know how to handle it. And so they just shove it down and focus on other people, a victim of their own life. You know you're a victim if you are insecure. You second guess every compliment other people give you. In fact, you even reject what the Bible says about you. Friends, as you know, the Bible says that you are a beloved child and heir of God the Father that you are a new creation freed from sin. You're holy, set apart, and glorious. 
You are more than a conqueror. Get this. You are one who reigns with Christ's power and authority. Now you may hear those words and say, yeah, that's true about everyone else in this room, but it's not true about me because I'm not worthy of that. If you only knew what I did or what I've said or who I've become, those words wouldn't apply to me. If that's you, then you're living with a victim perspective. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul confronts the believers who get stuck in Friday with this victim perspective. He says that if we only believe Christ died but did not raise from the dead, then our faith is actually useless. We are still guilty of our sins. We are hopelessly lost and more to be pitied than anyone else in the entire world. It's pretty significant. Paul wants us to get this. We cannot get stuck in this victim perspective. So how do we overcome this, friends? How do we overcome this victim perspective? Number one, we need to reclaim our identity in Jesus. You hear us say this from the stage a lot, but what does that actually mean? It means believing those words that Scripture say about you. Leaving behind the lies, the old life, the things that people have said about you, and actually taking on the new life, like putting on a new pair of clothes and believing that what God says about those clothes is who you are. And the old clothes that you used to wear are gone. They're dead. They're crucified. They're in the grave. And you get to wear new clothes that define your new identity in Christ. That's how we overcome that victim perspective. We also can serve others. Do you know that Jesus said the greatest among you is the servant of all? So sometimes we see servants as victims, but they're anything but that. Because Jesus said, that a servant is actually the most prestigious position you can have. And when you are a servant, you see the value that you have to give to someone else, that you can invest your life in them knowing that God is going to use it to change them, to make a change for the kingdom. And you get to experience the joy and the reward of being a servant. Jesus served others, and he's called us to emulate him, not as a victim, but as a servant. That's what he's called us to do. So maybe that's not you. Maybe, maybe you don't struggle with that victim mindset. Maybe you struggle with something else. When we get stuck in Saturday, we live like Christ is dead in the grave. A dead Savior who stays dead is powerless to help us endure suffering, hardship, and trials. We are on our own to battle the many deaths of sin, as Pastor Nathan talked about last week. It's up to us to overcome our sin. We have to muscle up. We have to overcome this in our own strength. And if we do that, then we're not allowing God to give us his power because we believe he's not powerful enough to actually help us overcome this sin. A dead Savior who stays dead cannot offer us strong grace. We don't have the power to face our challenges, so we must escape them. That's our only avenue. If we can't get through it, if we don't have the power to face it, then we have to escape it. We have to do whatever it takes to move around it. We feel like we need to outrun our pain because it's too painful to face it. Friends, can you believe that even Jesus' disciples struggled with this? After Jesus died, seven out of the 12 disciples went back to fishing. Their Savior was dead in the grave. They thought maybe all this was for nothing. And they went back to fishing. Fishers of men became fishermen again. 
And that's what happens when we stay stuck in Saturday. We take on this escapist perspective. An escapist perspective causes you to live like you are powerless. Like you can't face the struggles, so you have to just escape them. In fact, if we could, we would draw a dotted line between Friday and Sunday because we could just tightrope over this hard part. Just fast forward through the hard parts of the movie and get to the good parts. But we're deceived because you can't experience resurrection if you're not willing to die. You can't be restored if you're not willing to face your brokenness. And so we deceive ourselves when we live in this escapist mentality, just trying to escape suffering. In fact, even if we could walk on this tightrope, you fall through the the gaps and you experience the hardship anyway, you get back up, you keep trying to take the shortcut when Jesus is calling us to travel through and beyond so that we can experience resurrection power. You know you are an escapist if you over-spiritualize. Christians are famous for this. We label everything with the spiritual cause. I get in a car accident and I believe that God is punishing me for something I did wrong. I break up with someone and tell them God told me to. I hate that one. It's a God card, you know, cop out. I blame everything on spiritual warfare. The devil made me do it. There's certainly a spiritual cause behind things, but if we blame everything on the devil, then we're skirting around some of the issues that we might have to face and take responsibility for. How about funerals? What phrases have you heard at funerals? See, escapists aren't comfortable with the pain of death, so they say awkward things to try to minimize the pain. Maybe you've heard some of these. They finally got their wings, or at least they aren't suffering anymore. Or my personal favorite, God just wanted another flower for his garden, so he took that loved one away. In our attempt to make someone feel better, we actually infuse more pain into them, and we make it about us, trying to escape the discomfort by saying trite things that actually don't make sense. See, when we over-spiritualize, we refuse to face the real cause, and therefore we cannot offer real solutions. You know you're a victim, or sorry, you know you're an escapist if you ignore your past. We've hear things in, the, in Christianity like don't focus on your past that's all washed by the blood of Jesus just focus on your new life and move forward but if we do that we're so blinded by the future that we see no value in the past the truth is escapists won't face their past because it's too painful they don't want to feel and relive the memories they refuse to descend into the pain they will never allow themselves to feel weak and vulnerable The problem is, if we ignore our past, then we don't allow God to restore it and use it to help bring healing to others. If you are willing to descend into your pain, into your brokenness, and your wounds, and let Jesus meet you there and restore you and redeem you and heal you right in the place where you were hurt, then you can bring that same healing and restoration to someone else and say, I've been there. I know what that feels like. And let me tell you what my Savior did for me. And he can do it for you. Amen? Amen. But if we don't learn from our old life, then we could actually get sucked back into it just like the disciples did. You know you're an escapist if you misunderstand heaven. 
Escapists can't wait to escape the earth to get to heaven. They think the world is so hopelessly broken and wicked that we just need Jesus to come back and rescue us from it so we can enjoy our eternal retirement in the sky where everything is bliss and there's no more pain or sorrow. And there's some truth to that. But they miss the part where Jesus tells us to restore what is broken on this earth and that that is the best picture of what heaven looks like. In Jesus' mission, he said, I bind up the brokenhearted. I set the captives free. I proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You will become an oak of righteousness planted to show the glory and the splendor of God. Does that sound like escapist? Does that sound like avoiding the hard things? No, it sounds like embracing them, going through them, being willing to bring restoration. Listen to the way one biblical scholar unpacks this escapist perspective. It denies the goodness of the physical creation and the promise of God to renew it. It denies the ultimate justice of God and his promise to put the world to rights. It puts the focus not on God, the gospel, and the world, but on me and my spiritual experience. Do you you hear how selfish that is? In our attempt to escape the pain and the brokenness, we put the focus of attention on ourselves and we, we miss the calling, the opportunity that God has for us to shift our focus and attention out to bring restoration to others. See, an escapist perspective wants God to make all new things, not all things new. An escapist wants to start over, to wipe the slate clean, to not have to deal with the hard things and get our hands dirty. Let's just start over. Well, what if God did that with you? No. He says, I make all things new. I take broken things and make them come alive. But an escapist perspective doesn't want to do that. They want to start over and make all things new. So how do we overcome this escapist perspective? If if you find yourself there in a season, in a month, maybe today, how do you escape that? Number one, embrace your emotions. Don't run from your pain. Embrace it. I know that sounds counterintuitive. I know that sounds exactly the opposite of what the world would say to pop this pill, to not feel that pain anymore. But there's something powerful here that when we embrace our emotions, we find powerful connection with God and others through those emotions because we cannot get through them alone. I have a friend named Dawn who is going through Saturday and she said, I cannot tell you how beautiful it is to connect with God in the midst of this hardest season of my life. And there's nothing easy about it But because I'm clinging to him, because I'm bringing all of my emotions to him, I'm finding this incredible intimacy with God. And we get to experience that with others. Because we get stuck in our emotions. We don't know how to process through them, and we need help. We need each other to walk through this, to be able to experience that intimacy. Let Jesus restore your story. Revelation 12.11 says that we overcome the enemy, the devil, By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our story. How can you overcome the enemy through your story if you don't let Jesus restore it? How can you let him heal the wounds of your past if you won't face them? Let him restore your story and watch how he uses it to bring transformation to someone else's life. Again, you can't do this alone. 
You may need help. You may need to connect with a counselor, a spiritual director, or a life coach who can sit with you and help you make sense of your story. Connect the dots. See where Jesus is working because we cannot do this alone. Friends, when we are willing to go through Friday and Saturday instead of getting stuck in them and we are willing to follow Jesus on this pathway, then we get to experience the breakthrough of Sunday. We get to experience this restoration perspective that Jesus shows us. When we live with the restoration perspective, we get to reign with Christ. We get to experience the connection of the Trinity and bring that connection to other people. In the book of Revelation, when the resurrected King Jesus restores creation and brings heaven to earth, he says this, Behold, I make all things new. This is a proclamation of restoration. This is not, I make all new things, like an escapist would say. No, I make all things new. I take the brokenness and make it whole. I take dead things and bring them back to life. I endure my cross for the joy that will come afterwards. And Jesus is inviting us to do the same here on this earth. A restoration perspective empowers us to, pay, to face the pain of Friday and descend into the death of Saturday so we can fully experience the joy of Sunday. We can endure the suffering, the hardship, the death, the brokenness, knowing they aren't the end of the story. Restoration is. Amen? Amen. And Paul goes on to explain what this perspective looks like through the rest of this passage. Let's continue reading together. In verse 9, he says, And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. So the word of God, but the word of God cannot be chained. So I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ to those God has chosen. Friends, a restoration perspective empowers you to endure anything. Paul says this in verse 10, and the original word for endure means to, re- to remain, to abide, to not flee, to not escape, to persevere and hold fast to faith in Christ and to bear persecution bravely. There's no escapist perspective here. There's no victim perspective here. He's willing to go through it. And this empowers us to be willing to endure anything, as he says. He talks about this image of chains, and this is really visceral because he's like, I'm in chains for preaching the gospel, for telling the truth. They've misunderstood me, they've jailed me, and I am chained. What chains do you experience? Maybe it's addiction. We all struggle with addiction. What about it if it's shopping or eating or approval from others or social media, video games, or your cell phone? Do we realize that those can become addictions and hook us and take our attention and our affection and get us stuck in Friday or Saturday? If you're a student, maybe it's bullying. Maybe there's friends at school or in your neighborhood who don't understand you and all they can do is make fun of you and push you down because they don't really know who you are and you feel misunderstood and rejected by that. Maybe you've experienced abuse in your life, mental, physical, sexual, religious. This can crush you. This can leave you in a lot of shame and isolation, trying to deal with this abuse on your own. It can feel like chains. Betrayal or hurt caused by someone close to you. Or maybe crushing grief from significant loss. 
in your life. We don't know how to handle grief. We'd rather just ignore it. We'd rather just escape from it. But what if you could go through it? Maybe you've been suffering with chains for two decades and your circumstances aren't changing. That's heavy. That's hard. Maybe people prejudge you based on the color of your skin or your background. You didn't do anything to ask for the way they have treated you, but you feel misunderstood and rejected. You feel like you've got those chains like Paul did because of the way people treat you. See, Paul was in chains for proclaiming the truth. He did nothing to deserve them, but he found himself there. And what was his solution? How could he break free from those chains or endure under them? It was to tap into the power of the Word of God, which cannot be chained. The power and the truth revealed through Jesus to bring confidence to us in the midst of that pain. See, as we were singing that firm foundation song, I found myself asking, wow, is this really true, right? Can you go through hardship? Can you feel like you're struggling but still have hope and still have joy and still know who you are? Well, yes, you can if you take on this restoration perspective. Yes, you can if you're willing to endure all the emotions of Saturday, but be willing to allow Jesus to empower you through them. If you take on the Word of God and put it in your chest and never forget it and root it deep in your soul and stand on the firm foundation that is the presence of Jesus and His Word. Friends, like I said earlier, we cannot do this alone. We have to tap into the power of depending on each other. And I want to look at at, at verse uh, 10 again because Paul says, I endure everything. Why? Because it will bring salvation and eternal glory to those God has chosen. This moves us beyond ourselves. We can't help but, but give what we've got to others, to those we're discipling, so they can be matured, so that they can grow in their faith. And we endure anything for the sake of others. Let's continue our passage with verse 11. Paul says, This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. This is Paul's restoration anthem, the code he lived by, something to memorize and to teach our kids, a reminder to repeat when you're facing temptation or even failure. As it says, if we deny him, he will deny us. That's a sobering reality. But when we're struggling with Saturday and we're in the pit, we're tempted to deny him. We're tempted to be unfaithful to him, to turn to other things. But even when we do, he is faithful to us. If we look at this U diagram again and we think about that, how it gets hard, when we flirt with this victim and escapist mentality and we're, we're tempted to deny him, we're tempted to turn our backs on him, and he says, then I will show up and be faithful in every season. I won't fail you now. He won't. Amen? He won't fail us then. Even when we are faithful, he won't fail. And that is such a powerful truth because we do not go through this process perfectly. We mess up in it and Christ meets us there and carries us in to restoration. 
I want to camp out in verse 12 for a second here because there's something really powerful that Paul is teaching us. He says, if we endure hardship, we will reign with him. This is kind of an already not yet reality that we get to reign with him in this life and live into the restoration that we described. But it's also talking about eternity here. The not yet reality of the eternity, the heaven. And it explains reigning with Christ as a servant king. Think about the way that Jesus reigned as a king. He didn't wait for everyone to come and worship him and bow before him. No, he climbed off his throne and came and died for us. He served us. He healed others. He restored their brokenness. And that's how Christ reigned on this earth. And that's how he will reign for eternity, to bring restoration to all things. What could God resurrect in your life if you went through this process? Think about it. Ask him for it. Start to dream about it. What could he resurrect in your life? And friends, like I said, this is not just a view of now, it's a view of eternity. Instead of viewing heaven as escaping earth like an escapist would, it looks like a earth restored. Heaven coming to earth and Christ bringing restoration to all things, working through us, allowing us to be a part of that process. Listen to what one biblical scholar says about this, reigning with Christ in eternity. He says, God's new world will not simply be a place of rest and refreshment as people often imagine. When God brings the new creation into existence, there will be new work to do, new tasks to stretch our ability and imagination. Those who are faithful in the present world will be given authority in the next one where they will share Jesus' reign. They will share Jesus' reign. You see, Christ makes all things new, and that is the goal of eternity. We get to be a part of that with him. Nothing is wasted because he restores it all. When I was thinking about this, it made me think about a show that, that my wife and I like to watch called Hometown. Does anyone like to watch home renovation shows on HCTV? Yeah, we all dream about the projects we want to do in our own houses, don't we? And so they have this vision of what uh, they want the house to look like. And what I love about uh, Ben and Aaron Napier, who uh, kind of run the show, is Ben is a master craftsman. So he always takes something from the old house, like let's say they tore down a wall, and he takes wall studs and he'll make like a coffee table out of it so that the family can enjoy this for generations to come. What a picture of eternity. What a picture of a view of heaven, restoration. That God does not get rid of all things and start over. He restores all things. He takes the brokenness and restores it. Aren't you glad he does that in your life? Aren't you glad he takes you right where you are and he makes you new? That he builds things into your life to help you find fullness and and restoration and wholeness in Christ. It's only possible with him. It's only possible through going through this journey of the U diagram like we showed you. Throughout this series, we've done this fun call and response as a way of kind of talking back to each other. Won't he do it? You're a little slow on that one. Let's try again. Won't you do it? All right. So I got a new one for you today. It comes straight from Paul's restoration anthem. I'm going to say, if we die with him, and you'll say, we will live with him. Let's try it. If we die with him. All right. I'll say, if we endure hardship, you'll say, we will reign with him. If we endure hardship. All right. Let's try this together. You ready? We're going to do it two times. If we die with him. 
If we endure hardship. All right, louder this time. If we die with him. If we endure hardship. Amen. I want to show you a picture of my sister's treatment schedule for the bone marrow transplant. What does that look like? Yeah. She endured the pain of the chemo treatment on Friday and went into the basement period of Saturday with the hope of remission and healing from this disease, from this struggle. But she had to go through, let me read you what it says in the basement period of Saturday. Pain, esophagitis, irritation, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, hair loss, bleeding, infection, feelings of helplessness. Maybe that's you. Maybe you felt the the victim perspective of Friday and the escapist perspective of Saturday. We do not want to face these things. We want to escape them. I'm going to fast forward through them. But friends, you cannot experience remission without going through the basement period. You cannot experience resurrection without dying. And my sister was such a great picture of what it looks like to be able to endure this process, to allow Jesus to meet her right in the middle of it and bring restoration. Because we don't serve a king who's on the cross, do we? We don't serve a king who's dead in the grave. We serve a king who raised from the dead. And he gives us his restoration power to be able to face anything in this life, no matter how hard it is to walk through it, to not escape it, because we have an all-powerful, resurrected king who walked that path before us and calls us to take up our cross and follow him. Restoration is the end of the story. I want to pray for you because maybe you're struggling with that Friday perspective, that victim perspective, or that escapist perspective. Maybe you don't know what the resurrection looks like, what restoration looks like. So wherever you find yourself, let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you that you have modeled for us what it looks like to experience transformation. Jesus, that you are willing to endure the pain of Friday on the cross. And I pray for those of my friends who have wrestled with this victim perspective. They've forgotten who they are. They they have not stepped into confidence in you. God, that you would transform them from a victim to a servant. They would see their value and their worth in your eyes and their identity in you. And Father, I pray for my friends who are struggling with the escapist perspective. Life is hard. They find themselves in impossible circumstances. And the temptation is to just escape, to avoid it, to numb. But I pray for endurance, that they would endure anything with your help so that they can see you work in the midst of their pain and their heartbreak and their sorrow. And Father, I pray for my friends who do not know the the restoration power that comes from believing in you. Maybe you see yourself as a victim or an escapist and you don't know how to get out of it. Well, let me tell you, the only way out of it is to allow Jesus to restore you, to resurrect you from the grave, to give you his life that can overcome all the darkness and brokenness that you face. And if that's you, reach out to him and say something like this. Jesus, I am broken. 
I am stuck in the grave of my own life. And I need you to resurrect me. I need your power. I want to reclaim my identity in you so that I can be new, so that I can walk through this whole process of life from Friday to Sunday and be victorious. I pray this in the powerful name. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that message. It was really powerful. The different perspectives that Pastor John talked about, but especially pointing us to the perspective of a resurrection perspective in living our lives according to what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So I hope that this week as you begin to live into the kind of perspective that Pastor John talked about, you are grown in your faith and your relationship with God. But if you are processing anything, whether it's something with a message or just something in general, I always encourage you to reach out. Uh, this is a place where you belong, and we'd love to connect with you and support you on your next steps in your faith, uh, whatever they may be. So uh, you can reach out on a Connect card on our Now page. You can reach out via email individually, but we'd love to hear from you and get you plugged in. But with all that in mind, uh, I, I really just hope that this week you find yourself living more and more into that resurrection perspective. You this week and grows you and challenges you. I hope all the best for you this week. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you again real soon. Thanks for